uh, we've been in this study of the Gospel of John, and, um, and we've just been going verse by verse. And so uh, today we're going to be in verses uh, 35 through 51, wrapping up chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. So we're just going to read those verses together, and then we will pray, and then we will um, study. So here we go. You there? If you're there, just say jump. Okay. Well, the next day, again, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Just come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathan, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have uh, allowed us to come together and worship you and enter into your presence and to see your glory. And uh, I thank you that you've preserved your word for us to hear from you and to know you. And uh, I thank you that, man, as you've, we're going to study you calling these first disciples in your earthly ministry, that now the call is to us to follow you and to be your disciples. I thank you that we get to know you and be with you and hear from you today. I just pray that you'd give us discernment, spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive a word. And I pray that you would guide me as I seek to rightly divide the word of truth and teach this morning, God. So come and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. So what I want to do is um, we're, we're, I'm going to unpack this text in a certain outline that I have. But before we get into my outline, I just want to show you one thing because some cool stuff is happening in John. Like I said before, the Gospel of John is kind of put together um, not chronologically. He's not like this happened and this happened. It's not like security cam footage where you're just seeing all the, all the things as they're happening. He, he, he put them together um, kind of like a documentary. He curated all these events to best convince you to believe on Jesus. He gives us that purpose statement in John 20 where he says, I have written these things so that you may believe. And so he's curating all these things, but he's very intentional and genius how he's writing this. And throughout the book, he uses a lot of sevens, okay? So he uses sevens throughout the Bible, which is, as you know, maybe God's number. It's the number of completion. And he has seven signs Uh, that he is the Messiah. He has seven uh, I am statements. He names seven disciples. And here we see in the passage we're in, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's seven titles of Jesus. Seven titles of Jesus. And again, in this prologue of John, he's introducing a lot of themes that he's going to unpack later in the book. And so these seven titles that we see them called Jesus are throughout the book going to be teased out in different ways. So as our slide guys are on it, here it is. The seven titles of Jesus, the Lamb of God, of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. Just what we just read. They called Him all of those things. And so it's important to know these are all titles of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, the Bible Project any and seen those videos. They're kind of like Bible summary um, videos. Incredible, incredible work. If you ever get a chance to go check those out. Bible Project. Well, um, Tim Mackey, who's one of the founders and leaders at this Bible Project, him and the Bible Project say this about this passage. Here's a quote. The fully human Jesus of Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the Son of God who will die for the sins of the world. The fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel, the Son of God who will die for the sins of the world. That's a summary of these seven titles of Jesus. And so I just tell you that, those who are like Bible study people, you're going to see these things work their way out. And so... All right, seven titles. That's over there. We're back into uh, the sermon today. Um, have you ever been called by maybe a company for a position, a job offer? Or maybe you were called by a school saying you were accepted or called by um, a sports team saying you've made the team? Or maybe you, call, you were called by a doctor who said we're going to take your case? I remember whenever I was... Uh, applying, going through the hiring process at AT AT&T, there was a point where somebody called me from AT&T and said, "Um, look, you have the job. We want to offer you the job. Here's uh, how much we're willing to offer you. Here's where you will work. Here's when you will work. Here's the details of the position. I mean, it was a calling uh, to something. It was pretty interesting. Well, what we see today is Jesus called his first disciples. And um, he's not just calling them to a position at a a company to work. He's calling them to something, uh, a whole new way of life. The calling that Jesus is going to call them to is going to change their world um, forever. 
And so there's three things that we're going to unpack today that Jesus calls them to. And the first thing is that Jesus calls them to belong. Jesus calls them to belong. And so uh, if you're new with us, what we like to do is just like verse by verse walk through and just see it as we go. So back to verse 35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with the two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Man, just humility on behalf of John's part, because what we learned last week is that John was kind of a, a big figure. He became quite popular, famous, you might say. He had a big following, a lot of disciples. A lot of people came to hear him preach. And then here, he takes his personal disciples and says, Okay, you followed me long enough. It's time for you to just go and follow the Messiah. And so he gives them... So the two two disciples heard this and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Like, what are you doing? Like, so Jesus is walking along and he noticed, you ever feel like somebody's following you? Well, there was actually people following him. And he's like, "What, what, what what are you doing? What are you seeking? What do you need? It's interesting, neither Jesus' first words in this gospel. His first words. First words are pretty important, right? Remember your kids? You remember your kid's first word? And uh, I don't, I'm sorry, I do not remember my kid's first word. What was it? Like, probably mama is probably what she said first. But first words are important. We pay attention to those things. Here's Jesus' first words. It's a question. He says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you doing following me? Um, what Jesus is doing here is he's searching for uh, their intentions, and seeking out their devotion. What are they doing? What are they looking to find in Him? Um, This is a question I think we should all ask ourselves. What are our motives for following Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever like self-reflected on what am I seeking in Jesus? Maybe you're a believer and you're like, I believe in Jesus. Maybe you're here today, so you have some interest or curiosity about the things of God. Have you ever thought to stop and say, man, what are my motives for, what am I looking to get from Jesus? What am I seeking? Is it it acceptance or position or influence? Is it uh, excitement or escape or love? And we just were saying today, He loves us. Is it security or experience or approval? What are you seeking from Jesus? So that's what He says. Hey, what are you seeking? And they said to Him, Rabbi. John does this a favor and translates what that means. It means teacher. Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. Isn't it like, just like Jesus? He like, doesn't ever answer questions directly. He's just like, come. Come and you'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Um, he says, come and see. He's like, hey, you want to know about me? Let's just hang out. Come over to my place. We'll get dinner. I mean, it's the, it's the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. Says they stayed there. So he's like, it's dinner time. Y'all just come on over. And we'll chat. And that's what they did. We don't have any idea what they talked about. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, can you imagine that conversation? Jesus is 
dinner with his first couple disciples. I mean, that had to have been cool. What'd they talk about? But um, I think here's one of the points here is that discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. He's like, it's not something you can learn from afar. He's like, let's, go, let's enter into relationship. Now, let me help you belong here and just come and hang out. Um, we live in a time in history where uh, there is so much incredible Christian content in the world. I mean, we, I was just talking to somebody this morning about the blessing of YouTube preachers. You have all these, these preachers, historic preachers, who have preached their entire lives and now on YouTube in one place, in a playlist, you can find their entire library of sermons and just go through it and be blessed by that. And I listen to podcasts, don't get me wrong, I listen to podcasts, I listen to other preachers, I read books and receive things, but those things are helpful, but they don't replace true discipleship, which, which requires a personal touch. It requires belonging. It requires proximity to someone. And so discipleship doesn't happen at a distance. Um, he doesn't say, hey, if you want to know about me, read the book I just put out, right? He doesn't say, hey, listen to my podcast. He's like, just come and hang out. Just come to dinner. Um, I, had a, um, well, I had a youth pastor who I would have all these questions as a young high schooler, and I had all these questions about God and the Bible and faith, and I was just so curious, and I would ask him all these questions, and he would just never, I could never nail him down on an answer. What he would do instead was he would just say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. And we would go to Dairy Queen and sit down and talk about life and God and the Bible and all these things. And, and he was just inviting me into relationship. He was just inviting me to belong. And it's actually those moments that were more impactful in my spiritual walk than any Bible study book I've read. It's like, it's that sense of belonging. Just notice that before Jesus um, ever addressed their beliefs, before he ever confronted their behavior, Jesus simply helped them belong. And we're meant to belong. We're meant to belong. And uh, that's why we try our best to have uh, groups and connection and all those things. COVID has really disrupted a lot of stuff. And, and uh, some of our small groups have been knocked off. We're planning on starting those uh, in the very near future, I believe in the fall for sure, we are launching more groups. We're going to need you to start groups. But the reason why we keep talking about groups and we want you to get in a group and we want you to get in a Bible study, get in a smaller, because we want you to belong. We don't just want you to attend here and I see your face and I kind of recognize you, but I don't really know you and maybe no one else knows you. You kind of enjoy watching at a distance, but... I think what Jesus would invite you to and what we're inviting you to is to belong, to get to know someone, to be known by someone. Anyway, so the first thing is he calls us to belong. And we're going to come back to that idea in a little bit. Um, secondly, the second thing he calls us to, he calls us to believe. So in verse 40, he says, One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. He was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So he says, we have found him. We have, we have found the Messiah. Now look, now found here, this word found, it's important. 
Um, it implies someone who is diligently searching for something and joyously discovers it. You remember these, these other parables that Jesus told, one where he says the kingdom of God is like. It's like a man who's walking through a field and he, he stumbles and, and discovers this treasure and he, he found a treasure. And then he joyously sells everything he has so he can buy the field so he can obtain the treasure. That's the same found here. He found treasure. And then uh, maybe you've heard the parable of this shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. And so he leaves the 99 to pursue the one and to find the one. And it says when he finds the one, he rejoices greatly over more over the one who was found than the 99 who didn't need finding. Like He's like, I found him! I found him! And uh, if you've ever lost your phone, you start to panic. <laughs> and then you find it, you know the joy. You know the joy. This is him. He, this, is, this is these first disciples. They're like, we found him! We found the, we found the Messiah! That's the enthusiasm here. So he goes on, he says, we have found him, the Messiah, which means Christ. He has brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called uh, Cephas. Let's look down at verse 45, where he says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets and all of the law and prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So they're like, we have found him. Who'd you find? We found the Messiah whom Moses and all of the law and the prophets wrote. What he's saying is that we found Jesus who's fulfilled all of Scripture. Like all of the Scripture has been pointing to him. We found him. He's here. Here he is. Did you know the whole Bible is about Jesus? Like the book doesn't make a whole lot of sense without Jesus. That the whole thing is not a bunch of disconnected stories. It is one narrative, one story pointing to the person of Jesus. That's who they're saying that they found. There's a, a, a popular pastor, Tim Keller, who um, summarized this idea this way. Many people have played off of this, but I just want to read it to you, and it's quite a long, he goes through the Old Testament and shows us, points out Jesus to us in the Old Testament. Here it is, okay, you ready? He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, though innocently slain, his blood now that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. 
Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to awaken us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it for themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death would pass over us. He's the true and better temple, the true and better prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's Jesus. And whenever these disciples, they look at Jesus and say, we found the one who... Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. That's what they're saying. This is the person we believe that the Bible has been pointing to. Jesus goes on. We read the story continued. Philip said, found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can, can anything good... <laughs> Come out of Nazareth. Ooh, can you imagine that being, you being that guy in the Bible? Um, what he's saying here is Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. And Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, which was prophesied, but he grew up in Nazareth. And so Nazareth is a little small town, nothing town. Whenever I, I went on a trip, I've told you before, I went on a trip to Texas, a motorcycle trip to Turkey, Texas, which is a, a little bitty town too. And on the way to Turkey, Texas, we went through the hottest place on the face of the earth called Childress, Texas. And Childress, Texas is a little bitty town. I mean, you, you approach it and you drive right through it and that's it. It's over. And as we were driving through Childress, Texas, not only was it felt like we were baking in a microwave, but, but all the stores were like boarded up. I mean, it was like a ghost town. And there's one gas station. We stop at the gas station. We go in and one of the guys with us asked the cash, cashier, two people behind the counter and they say, are you guys from here? And one of them said, yeah, I was born and raised here. And the other one said, no, I moved here. And he said, why? Why would you like pack up and say, I'm moving to Childress, Texas? And that, that's what he's saying here. He's like, this is a nothing town. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Is, what good can come out of Nazareth? What we also see is that Nathaniel is a skeptic. So if you're a skeptic, if you're not quite sure, if you've got some questions, if you don't quite believe You'd uh, make good company with Nathaniel here. So he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, I love Philip's response because Philip didn't get in an argument with Nathaniel. 
He didn't say, well, let me help you understand why he's the Messiah. Like he didn't get into this big argument with Nathaniel, Philip. He actually just does what Jesus did. He's like, oh, I saw Jesus do this. Maybe, I'll just, maybe that works, and I'll just do this too. And so he, Philip says, just come and see. Just come and see. Just come hang out. Again, we see him inviting them to belong. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there's no deceit. I'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, uh, how, do, how, do you, how do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You're like, what does that mean? Well, this, this phrase here, you saw you under the fig tree, you were under the fig tree, is a, um, a rabbionic figure of speech for studying the, the Torah. So um, it was popular, like you would, this heat of the day, you would go get under, uh, if you wanted to study the scriptures, you'd go get some shade under a tree, under a fig tree, and you would study the Torah. You'd read and you'd search and you'd pray and you'd have your devotion time under a tree in some shade. And so it was just a figure of speech. If I saw you under a fig tree, it's that I saw you studying the scriptures. And so what Jesus says here is, hey, I saw you studying the scriptures. And um, he's like, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit more than I just saw you studying the scriptures. Um, I know what you were reading. So he says, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. He's using wordplay here. He's like, I know you're reading Genesis. And you're studying the life of Jacob. And, um, and you're reading the story of Jacob under that fig tree. And if you know, Jacob was a deceiver. That's what his name means, the deceiver. Um, he's like, but I'm going to call you by Israel, what God changed Jacob's name to because Nathanael exemplified Jacob's faith, not his deceit. So he says, behold, an Israelite, Israel, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And so Jesus is saying, not only did I see that you were studying the scripture, I know exactly what you were studying. Which makes Nathanael go, ah! So Nathanael said to him, <laughs> Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Apparently, Nathaniel knew that where he was in his devotion time, no one saw him. And he's like, the only person who knew where I was studying what I was studying is the Lord. And so when Jesus says, I, I saw you studying and I know what you're studying, he's like, only God knew that. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so Jesus is like pretty amazed at the simplicity of his faith. And he says, um, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. As I said, in the coming chapters, we're going to see seven signs, the miracles of Jesus. He's like, you'll see miracles, but... I think he's also pointing to his resurrection. You're going to see me rise from the dead. 
So he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly is amen, amen. It's an authoritative, draw your attention. Jesus says this 25 times in this gospel. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, pay attention. And now here, you is plural. He's, he's saying, I say to y'all. Truly, truly, I say to y'all, all of y'all, y'all will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, does that conjure up any memories, that phrase, the angels of God ascending and descending? Well, um, yeah, it's the story of Jacob. And in Genesis 28, and if you, you flip over just briefly to Genesis 28, um, so he's even expounding on the fact that, hey, I saw you studying, and you were reading this passage out of Genesis 28, where um, Jacob has a vision or a dream. And what Jacob sees in this dream is he sees this ladder going up to heaven. And he sees it's like this place where heaven and earth meet. And he sees angels ascending and descending. Genesis 28 verse 12 says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. If you go down to verse like 16, Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so Jesus says, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What he's saying here is, I am the true and better Jacob's ladder. What you were seeing there in that vision, it was me. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the mediator between God and man. I am the only way into the presence of God. I am the gate to heaven. He says, that's me. I am the son of man. Son of man is a title that, that they would be familiar with from Daniel. Daniel used this title to describe this coming king, this coming Messiah. In Daniel 7, verse 12 and 13, or I'm sorry, verse 13 and 14, he says, I saw the night visions, this is from Daniel, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all the peoples and nations and angels and Languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that should not be dismayed. Destroyed, I'm sorry. Okay, so he's saying that Jacob's ladder thing is about me and uh, I'm the son of man. So now I'm going to connect you to Daniel which says I'm the king that's going to rule. I'm the Messiah. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself, the son of man. He uses it over and over and over again. The point is that Jesus is inviting them in to believe. And they do. They see this Messiah. We've found the one who all the Bible's talking about. 
And then whenever Jesus says, hey, that whole ladder thing, that's me. The son of man thing, that's me. Nathaniel says, I believe. I believe. Jesus is calling you to believe. And maybe you're a skeptic like Nathaniel. And you've got some questions. That's okay. He's like, just come hang out and explore with me. And I'm sure if you spend enough time with Jesus, you too will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Finally is this. Um, it's my least favorite point of all. Um, is, is Thirdly, he calls us to behave. And uh, I have to use that word because of alliteration, right? That's what preacher thing, right? Be- belong believe, behave, right? It makes, it works. But the word behave I don't like because maybe for you, if you're like me, it conjures up all these feelings of being a child told to behave a certain way that you had no desire to do. Like, well, you just behave. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, you, you need to behave. And, um, and so your parents' job is to kind of keep you in line, keep you behaving. And so, um, but inside you're like, you don't really want to act that way. Uh, the word behave is uh, defined this way, act or conduct oneself in a specific way. Um, the reason uh, behave works here is because it's how you act. It's your behavior. It's your actions. It's how you live. That uh, belonging in Christ, with Christ, and believing on Christ is going to result in changing how you behave. It's going to change your behavior. And, and so that's what he's, he's saying here. So I, although I, if this word drums up any ill feelings or you just can't get past that, write a different word, okay? He calls us to live, you know, like him. Like put something else in the blank, okay? I came up with this word. You can come up with another one. And here's what we get in verse 38. Where do we see this in this passage? Verse 38, if we go back, and he says, what are you seeking? He said to them, rabbi, which means teacher. He also says this in verse 49, where he calls him rabbi. Now, rabbi is, is a, a teacher, um, and, uh, but what he's saying here is that you have a lot to learn. Like, there's a lot for you to, to you, you, you've got to go somewhere. You've got to learn something. You have to learn a new way of life from your rabbi. And how does the rabbi teach us? Anybody know? How does the rabbi teach us? Like through his word, yes. Like he's like, I've written some things down for you to have. And if you could just read these things, and then you would begin to learn my way of life, the way of a rabbi. Now, when he says he's a teacher, he's not saying he's like the teacher that you have in school. It's not the teacher, you wake up, you go to school early, you get into class, you see your teacher, your teacher teaches you how to do math equations and such, and then you leave that teacher's class and you go to another teacher's class, and then your interaction with your teacher is primarily in a structured environment at school where you go, you learn from them, you leave, you might not have a close relationship with your teacher. I know some of you have favorite teachers and you have good, all that stuff, but I'm saying it's not like that type of teacher. This type of teacher, a rabbi, uh, being a disciple of a rabbi required physically following your rabbi to receive training. You'd, wa- you'd follow him around. You'd, you'd walk around with him. And what you were learning from your rabbi was not just information to pass a test or to get a degree or to graduate. What you're learning from your rabbi is you're learning a new way of thinking, 
I want to think like my rabbi. I want to feel like my rabbi. I want to speak like my rabbi. I want to act like him, live like him. I want to believe the things that my rabbi believes. Your, your entire life was wrapped up in imitating your rabbi in every way that you could. And so whenever they call him rabbi and he calls them his disciples, what he's saying is come and learn an entire new way of life. This is going to completely transform how you live. And he even says this in in verse 43 where he says, follow me. Come follow me. Which means this. He doesn't follow us. He doesn't follow us. We follow him. He's the leader. I think we just, want to, we just want to add Jesus onto our thing. Like, God, can you come bless my thing? My things, if you just come be with me. Like, here's the thing. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. He owns the whole daggone plane. Okay? Like, it, he, we follow him. And by following him, we're learning from him. We're doing life the way he wants to do life. He's going to change your life. Verse 41, I know in this point we're jumping around a lot because it's all over this passage. Verse 41, he first found his own brother. So Andrew found Simon Peter, his brother, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is interesting because um, it's really not normally how your reactions with people like you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, hey, my name's John. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm going to call you Billy. It's like usually people don't change your name in the first rea- like interaction, first time meeting you. But here Jesus, he's looking at Simon and he's being prophetic in how he changes his name. When he says, you, are, you shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, he's saying, this is who you will become. It's not who you are. Normally you get a nickname from things that you've done. And, um, but here he's like giving him a nickname for who he will become. Because right now, Peter is nothing like a rock. Peter is emotionally unstable. He's impulsive. His emotions travel by way of roller coaster. He's he's not a rock, but he's being transformed into a rock. Jesus says, you shall be called. This is future tense. You will be transformed into a rock. And it happens. We we, we don't flip to uh, 1 Samuel, do we? No, we flip to 1 Peter. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, that is a book of the Bible. <laughs> we don't flip to 1 Simon. Forget that last part. We don't flip. <laughs> we don't flip to 1 Simon. We flip to 1 Peter. And we learn about a man whose life has been transformed. And so Christians, whenever you when people come into contact with Jesus and begin to follow Jesus, he transforms your life transforms your life. Has your belief changed your behavior? Has it changed your behavior? Like major things in your life, have they changed? 
when I, I got my first job at Dairy Queen, and someone recently reminded me of this. They said, man, when you did that thing, it, I admired you for that. And I was like, what? First job at Dairy Queen, I go and apply, and end my interview at Dairy Queen. Interviewing at Dairy Queen, right? <laughs> That's a joke in itself, isn't it? So interviewing at Dairy Queen, and I just said straight up, hey, um, so I'd love to have this job. Uh, but I can't work on Sundays and I can't work on Wednesdays because like I have these things where I go worship, like I worship my Lord on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And so if you want me, that's the only condition. I'll work for you whenever else. I'll work hard. I'll be the best employee you have, but not on those days. And they're like, sure, fine, come on. And sure enough, I never worked on Sundays or Wednesdays because I just set that up beforehand. There was another time where I worked, and I just did this throughout my life. Whenever I went to, uh, I worked at a custom cabinet shop, and I did the same thing. I said, I can't work on Sundays or Wednesdays. If you want me, I'm here. They hired me, and what was interesting is I, uh, we would go to do installs, installing cabinets and houses um, out of town um, on Wednesdays. And uh, my boss would arrange for me to get a ride home earlier on Wednesday so I could be home to go to church on Wednesday and everybody else would continue to work. <laughs> and there were, there were other believers on our crew. There were other people who went to church who stayed and worked. The, but it, at the beginning, I was like, okay, this is non-negotiable. I'm not working on Sundays or Wednesdays. Those are the days that I worship. And I just did that throughout my life. And um, I never thought anything about it. So this, this guy told me recently, he said, man, when you did that, I really admired that about you. Not many people do that. I'm like, not many people do that. How's that like not the basic practice of a believer? How come Christians like aren't known for getting jobs and saying, you know what? I'm not working on Sundays or whatever your other worship day is. Maybe it's just Sundays. I'm not working on Sundays. Why? Because I have a Lord and I worship the Lord. It's pretty important to me. I worship the Lord. And he, he's worthy of me taking a day off to worship him and devote myself to him. How come, I don't know, how come it's not more common practice that believers actually make big decisions based on their faith? Is your uh, life marked by an increasing likeness to Christ and how you talk? and how you handle your finances, and how you behave in traffic. I gotta repent, guys. I, yesterday was rough for me in traffic. I went to Gulfport yesterday. Were you in Gulfport yesterday? It was wild. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. How you respond in traffic, I'm working on that by the grace of God. How you raise your kids, where you work, when you work, like does your belief affect your behavior? So here's what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to belong first and then believe and then behave. And it's, it's interesting that there's only one way to heaven. There's one way to heaven, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven but there are many ways to Jesus. And we see that in this passage. Some of them came that they were pushed on by their disciple or John. 
Others came by their siblings or their friends calling them to come and, and just be with Jesus. And then some, like Nathaniel, came who was a skeptic and God performed a miracle in his life saying, I've seen you somewhere reading something that no one else would know something about. And he had a miraculous conversion. Like there's different ways to come to Jesus, but only way to come to the Lord. And some of you, these three things, belong, believe, behave. Some of you have done these, come to Jesus in different ways. Maybe you've um, behaved and even had a sense of belonging in the church before you believed. This is the story of John Wesley. If you know anything about Wesley, he lived in the 1700s. He was a minister. He grew up in a Christian home, and uh, he went and studied uh, theology, and he was in university uh, at Oxford with his brother, Charles, and they had this, they started what they called the Holy Club, and they were all about living holy lives, and they would, um, they would hold each other accountable, and they would make sure that they were praying daily and reading the scriptures and worshiping and, and helping the poor and visiting prisoners. I mean, they were like super strict about living holy lives. Um, he founded what has now been known as the Methodist Church because of he was very methodical on how he did things. And, and so, and then years later, he, he goes on a mission trip to Georgia, gets on a ship, and on the ship there was a huge storm. And in the storm, he loses it. He's like, I'm going to die! I mean, like, he freaks out. But on the ship, there's other believers. So there's other groups of believers that are, that are calm and at peace, and smiling, and singing hymns. And afterwards, he looks at them, and he says, how in the world were you calm in that storm? And uh, they said, do you have faith in Christ? And he's like, yes. And they're like, well, that's what comforts us, you know? Like, that thing really affects how we feel about this whole thing. We're like, hey, Now's the time. What a way to go. I mean, a shipwreck. And, uh, and he just, that just got to him. And he's like, man, man, do I really believe? And I don't have what they have. Later, he came back home, England, and he was in a Bible study, and someone was reading Luther's uh, prologue to the, to the Epistle of Romans. And he, he just writes about that there was one moment where as he was reading about how sinners are saved by grace through faith in Christ, he describes it as my heart began to warm, this strange warmth inside my heart. And he says, I believe it was then that I was converted. He later reflects that when he went on this mission trip to convert Georgia, he says, yet I wasn't even converted myself. He was doing the things. He, he was part of a church. He was, he was a minister. He behaved, but he hadn't quite believed. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and, and you're even in small groups or leading a Bible study or whatnot, but have you ever truly believed? Is it more than just an intellectual understanding of who God is or has it reached your heart that you truly believe? And maybe that's you. Some of you, uh, you believe and you behave, but you don't belong in the sense that you believe and you live right, but you're not connected anywhere. And maybe you need to get connected. Maybe you come to church weekly, 
regularly, but you don't know the names of anybody else in the room. No one knows you. And so maybe for you, maybe it's, maybe it's getting connected, it's getting in a group, starting a group, taking someone out to lunch, um, getting connected. And then some of you, you belong, and you, and you say you believe, but you don't behave like a follower of Jesus. And I would say this is the one that is kind of an oxymoron, like you cannot believe without behavior change. Jesus says, I mean, James, Jesus' little brother, says, faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is that a faith that does not work its way out in your life, does not change the way you believe, is not real faith. That true belief changes how you live. That a faith that has not changed you is a faith that has not saved you. And so for those who are somehow, you are justifying in your heart and in your mind, that you can continue to live this way that is contrary to the things of God, I would say, repent, okay? Repent. So here's kind of the main thing today. Should, we should help people uh, believe by helping them belong. We should help people believe by helping them belong. If that's the thing you take, this is what I want you to take away from this. Uh, recently, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Did you celebrate that last week? And I was in my office on St. Patrick's Day, didn't even think about St. Patrick's Day. And um, Hayden came into my office and he pinched me. And I had no idea that it was even St. Patrick's Day. And I said, I mean, he looked at me so intense and he pinched me and then he tried to pinch me again. I said, well, if you pinch me again, we are gonna fight, all right? I'm gonna, we're going to shut the door, and there's going to be a laying on of hands, okay? And I said, what did I do to you, brother? What did I do? I really thought that I had heart, like, hurt, hurt him in some way. I was like, what did I do to you? Why are you pinching me? And he's like, you're not wearing green. And I was like, ah, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day. So anyways, we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Do you know anything about St. Patrick? Well, let me give you a little bit. Did you, was St. Patrick Irish? No, St. Patrick was not Irish, uh, contrary to popular belief. St. Patrick uh, was not Irish. He was British. He was a 5th century British missionary to Ireland. Had an had a incredible story growing up, different um, trials in his life, but he ended up being a missionary to Ireland, but he had a different way of evangelism. Um, unlike the Roman way of evangelism, which is uh, presents the gospel first. So here's the Roman way or the Western way of evangelism. Presents the gospel first and then asks for a decision and then brings the new convert into the fellowship. So gospel belief, confession, and then fellowship. Well, St. Patrick practiced something called the Celtic way of uh, evangelism. Uh, this is where you offer fellowship and uh, you're, you're genuinely giving the not yet believer a sense of belonging. And then there's conversations and there's a ministry and then it's followed by confession and belief. And so if the Roman way, which many times we find ourselves in as Western believers, the Roman way is behave, believe, and then you can belong. We're really focused on your behavior, aren't we? We get all mad at the world for not behaving the way Christians are supposed to behave. 
And so we're like, if you just behave, that's first. And then believe, and then maybe we'll let you belong. Well, St. Patrick's way, the Celtic way of evangelism, is belong first, what we just saw in Jesus' ministry. Come and see. Come have dinner. Belong first, and then believe, and then that will change your behavior. And that's the flow that we see Jesus use. Jesus never addressed their behavior. He never pointed out, hey, Nathaniel, you need to cut that out, and then you can come be my disciple. No, he's like, just come hang out. Belong, believe, behave. St. Patrick was first concerned about people. He valued relationships. They called it belonging, helping people feel like they belong so that they might believe. And in St. Patrick's 29-year ministry, it's reported that he baptized 120,000 people and started 300 churches with this method. Let's just, let me get to know you. Help you belong so that you may believe. And uh, really, what that does is it helps people feel known and heard and valued. And if they see that you, a Christ follower, is interested in them and knows them and cares about them, then they might think, maybe your God feels that way about me. And so if you help them belong, that'll help them believe. So what, what does that mean? Welcome, welcome them. Welcome them. I was so blessed. We had a membership class recently, and uh, one of the things that is a common thing I hear from our church, we're so blessed here, is I heard, I've just, I felt so welcome here. Like so many people greeted me and smiled and waved and introduced themselves. And, and I'm glad that our greeting, our welcoming is not limited to just a greeting team. And I hope it never becomes that way. If you see somebody new or you haven't talked to in a while, welcome them. Help them feel like they belong. That's the way of Jesus. Um, have someone over for dinner. Your unbelieving friend. That new person at church, just have them over for dinner. Take them out to lunch. Have a conversation with no agenda. And that's an idea, isn't it? Make them feel like you just want to know them. You're not trying to use them to get a new convert. Let's help people believe by helping them belong. So which one of these areas is God speaking to you on today? Um, do you need to belong? Do you need to get connected to church? Are you feel, you're kind of unknown and, and you need to get connected and belong? Do you need to believe on Jesus for the first time today? You've never trusted Jesus. You've never confessed Him as the Christ and the Savior and the Lord of your life. And that's what you need to do today. I believe that God's doing that today. Or um, do you need to allow God to change your behavior to act, actually reflect a follower of Jesus? And um, what do you need to surrender to the Lord today? Are you helping people belong so that they might believe? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these moments we've shared in your word. I thank you for uh, God, that you are a God who came to us. You didn't require us to work our way to you, but you reached down into our world. And then you didn't just preach at us, but you wanted to know us. And you invited those first uh, disciples to belong first. 
that you care about relationship. That this Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus, with you, God, first. And so I pray that you would help us to get connected to you, to be in relationship with you, and to belong in the body of Christ. And I pray that for that person today who's, they've never trusted you. They've never trusted you, but God, I'm believing that by your spirit and the proclamation of your word today, your spirit is stirring in their heart and maybe they're experiencing what John Wesley experiences, a, a strange warming of the heart. I pray that they trust you, that they believe on you, Jesus, as their Lord and their Savior. I pray for all of the believers here that our belief in you would grow. That as a result of our study today, we would trust you more. We'd believe in you more. I know I have, God. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be hypocrites, but that our lives would reflect a life of Jesus. And I know that, God, that's imperfect. We're struggling, we stumble, we fall. But by your grace, we're increasingly becoming more like you. And I pray that the Spirit, your Holy Spirit would convict us of where we need to repent and turn to you. And then, Lord, I pray that like Jesus and, and like, like Philip who says, come and see that we would go and then help people belong so that they might believe. Holy Spirit, bless these people. Fill this church by church I mean these people fill them with your spirit help us to joyously walk with you this week in Jesus name amen